Welcome to the Water Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. This is part two of an episode I have made with Gary Arndt. But before we get into it, I want to get some feedback that I got from one of my listeners who went to speakpipe.com slash ftapon, where you can leave me a recorded message. And let's hear from one of my listeners who had the feedback from the first episode, and then we'll dive right into the second episode. Well, I was catching up on my favorite podcast and came across your latest, Francis, and I look forward to more from, from uh, Gary Art, and we'll download his app. So many compelling stories uh, that's piqued my curiosity. The archery one, Phelps, about the Olympics, and the Indian one are a few to mention. Thanks for the info, and I will listen to his podcast. What are your plans for 2022? I've kind of been rethinking about how to do a tour because a lot of the tours I've done in the past, a group tour, it's like you start in this city, you spend a day or two there, then you go to the next city, then you go to the next city, then you go to the next city. You know, one of the, the common themes of a lot of my episodes has been stuff about ancient Rome, just because I think there's a lot of things about it that a lot of people don't realize. And there's a lot of things about the world today, which can trace its origins back to Rome and we don't realize it. And I, I thought about, like, there's so much stuff in Rome itself that you could easily spend a week there. Your average tourist to Rome is going to go to the Forum and the Colosseum. They're going to go to the Vatican. They'll see the Trevi Fountain. And that's it. You know, maybe there's a few other things, and then they move on somewhere else. But there's so much more that's there that people don't know about. Like, there's underneath the altar of the Vatican is the Vatican Necropolis. Not the grotto where a bunch of popes are buried. This is the ancient Roman cemetery, which is why the Vatican is built where it is. And it's where St. Peter was believed to have been buried, and that, that's why they built the church there. Uh, the Emperor Constantine built it. And you can actually go down there. They take small groups. You can't do photography. Uh, I think they take as most eight people. But that's something that I think would be really cool to do. Nero's palace uh, was the largest building in antiquity, probably. It was this enormous thing. It was called the, the Domus Aureus, which is the uh, golden house. And part of it's still there. And you can go and you can see the dining room and it was buried. And so a lot of the original artwork is still there, untouched. Hadrian's Villa, just outside of Rome, I've been there. Just an absolutely amazing place. Hardly anyone visits. Same with the Fountains of Tivoli. Eh, more people visit that. If you go the other direction to Ostia, which is the Roman, uh, the, the former port city of Rome, it's actually two kilometers from the sea now because the river silted it in over 2,000 years. But uh, that's like going to Pompeii. It's a very well-preserved city. And again, people, people don't bother to go there. And then there's tons of things in the city itself that are smaller things, maybe a monument, a gate, an arch, um, uh, a catacomb that, you know, because there's so many different layers of history. It's not all just ancient Roman history, but you also have, you know, stuff dealing with, with Christianity, the Renaissance, and, and even, you know, early 20th, late 19th century stuff, that this stuff is often forgotten. And I think there's a very interesting tour that could be done just focusing on one city. So I'm looking at Rome first, and then maybe I think that it could also be done in a place like Istanbul in uh, Jerusalem, because that's another place where there's just so much history that you can't, really see a lot of it in you know two days 
Speaking about seeing a lot, you were in Minneapolis when the George Floyd riots were going on, and you left, and now you're in Wisconsin, your home state. A good move, might I add. Exactly. So I was going to ask you, like, what is the situation since you're not far from and you still have contacts in Minneapolis? What is life like? Because you don't hear much about George Floyd anymore and and, and life in Minneapolis ever since things kind of died down and there was a settlement there. Uh, The crime rate has dramatically spiked. Murders have gone up. Carjackings have gone up dramatically. I've talked to some people who lived in my neighborhood a few months ago, and basically nothing's been fixed. Very little has been done. Everything is still boarded up, they said. There, there's been a lot of issues with getting insurance approved. A lot of these people that said, you know, it's okay to riot and burn everything down because everyone has insurance. Spoiler, no, they don't. And just because they have it, it doesn't mean it covers it. And a lot of the people that did have insurance, uh, they're collecting their policy and they're just leaving. They're, they're not rebuilding. No one wants to rebuild in, in that neighborhood anymore. And the, the, the thing that, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when I heard this councilwoman from Minneapolis give an interview to CNN where she basically said that, you know, uh, police protection is a privilege. I was like, I'm out. No one, no one voted on that. That was never an issue in any election. And, uh, and pretty much everywhere defund the police was an issue. Had, people are backtracking now because crime has, has exploded in cities all over the United States. And uh, this is, you know, especially among Af- African-Americans, because they're the primary victims of it. Uh, they've been deeply concerned. And this whole defund the police thing, I think, has just gone absolutely nowhere. You're seeing retirements and uh, people leaving police forces everywhere, leaving them shorthanded. And you're having a lot of serious problems in a lot of major cities in America. And I've, I'm living in a rural area right now, 100 yards from me. There is a cornfield really changed my, my opinion on a lot of things the last year. One of which is, you know, I had always lived in, in major cities for, for most of my life. Uh, do I need to do that? Like, what is the, the benefit now, especially with the pandemic? And we're so used to doing video conferencing and things like that. Are you, are you familiar with Starlink? Yeah. Oh, I, I have become a huge huge fan of Starlink. I'm following it religiously and what they're doing. And for those that don't know what it is, it's the SpaceX Elon Musk program. They have over, I think they have close to 1500 satellites in orbit now, and they're providing high speed broadband, low latency internet everywhere on earth. And literally in the middle of nowhere, you can do this. And this isn't a theoretical thing. There are almost a hundred thousand people currently using it. And in all the forums I'm on, on Reddit or Facebook that talk about Starlink every day, it's someone gets it installed and their life has changed that they went from less than a megabit connection from some crappy rural ISP to now having broadband and being able to join the rest of the world. Now, if you can have this anywhere and you can get Amazon deliveries from anywhere and I can get, um, I just installed an app on my Apple TV for the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, there are several apps now that do performances by uh, various symphonies around the world. There's even one that does uh, videos of Broadway productions that you can sign up for. So what really is the benefit to living in a city at this point? Now, it used to be that if you wanted a top job in publishing or finance or whatever, you had to live in New York. 
You just had to. There was no, even three years ago, that was probably the case. But a lot of finance people have left New York in the last year. Uh, A lot of them have gone to Miami because it's all done online anyhow, right? Um, And what people are realizing, and a lot of the big tech companies are realizing this, that they they were able to keep up their levels of productivity with people working at home. And then it doesn't matter where home is anymore. And with Starlink, Starlink has the potential to be completely one of the most revolutionary things that's happening right now. And it's revolutionary, but most people, it won't affect them directly because it's not for people in cities. If you have fiber, you know, Starlink isn't for you. But the fact that you're going to be able to put this, uh, and they're coming out with a mobile version. So you'll be able to put this on a camper, a semi, a boat, a plane. So that means you can live anywhere. You can get stuff shipped to you anywhere. You can work from anywhere. Um, It's also going to change things like... uh, travel. So right now, if you want to go to Europe, you pretty much have to fly. In the olden days, you would take a ship. They're really, Cunard does have a transatlantic service, but it's really, you do it for the experience and you bring a gown and a tuxedo and you pretend it's the Titanic and that stuff. And they go slower than necessary so they can actually milk another day or two out of it so you can spend time, you know, drinking. But what if instead of having something fancy, it was just a carnival type ship and, you know, you can do a week-long cruise for, like, 700 bucks. You know, there are really cheap cruises out there. Well, instead of just bouncing around the Caribbean, going to Senior Frogs or whatever in different ports, what if it just took you to London? A four-day trip, New York to London. Um, you would eat better than you would on a plane. You'd sleep better than you would on a plane. You could get up and walk around. You wouldn't be jet-lagged when you arrive. you just uh, change your schedule one day, one hour every day. Um, and you could probably do so at the same price of a ticket, maybe even cheaper, and you could have high speed internet on board and stay in touch and do work and be productive while you're doing it. That lack of productivity is what's stopping people from doing something like that now, right? You don't want to take four days off of work to make a trip to Europe. Uh, I would do it, but I have more time than most people because I just travel, but I think it could revolutionize that. It could revolutionize, you know. All the go-go wireless internet stuff in airplanes, that'll be gone. This is all moving to Starlink, absolutely, especially for domestic flights. Um, So it's going to, yeah, it's really going to change things. And it's also going to change. I'm not saying New York's going to become a ghost town, but it's going to change how we view things. And, and, you know, you live in San Francisco, and I know San Francisco has been having a lot of problems uh, with crime, homelessness. And, and other issues. And at, at some point, a lot of people are just going to say, is it really worth paying a premium for this when I can have most of the benefits? Now, certainly you won't have restaurants. Uh, that That's you know one thing you're obviously not going to have and uh, nightlife and, and things like that. But a lot of it you're going to be able to have from anywhere. And, and the corollary to that isn't just living out in the woods. It's going to be people, uh, you know, we were very early on the digital nomad wagon. And it's become kind of a, a thing now. And now you see countries like Barbados and Estonia. I think Georgia recently did it. We're now offering these digital nomad visas. Uh, you're going to see a lot more people that are working overseas. And, and that, that's actually the next travel I do is probably going to be in that form. I'm probably just going to go somewhere and live for a while rather than um, travel like I used to, where I was pretty 
busy going from place to place. I may just get an apartment somewhere for six months so I can, you know, work on the podcast. How much is Starlink? Is it 75 bucks a month or something like that? $99 a month and $500 up front for the dish. Got it. Okay. And the dish is a, um, it's not a regular set curved satellite dish. It, that, that's not how it works where you point it at one part in the sky. It's actually an active, so it's, it's a technology that really has never been commercially done before. These satellites are in low Earth orbit, so they're constantly moving. So it's constantly having to track different satellites. So it actually moves. No, the dish doesn't move. It's electronically changing where it gets the signal from. Oh, I see. So, but it's still fixed in a certain point. Yeah. Okay. There is a small motor on the dish. So what you do is you just pick a spot that has, that has little obstruction, like the top of your house. And then it will just automatically orientate itself to the right spot and stop. But this is the first version of it. And already, I've, I've, I think Elon Musk had a tweet that they brought their price to manufacture it was originally like $2,000. I think they got it down to $1,000. And they're trying to get it down to uh, a few hundred because they're taking a loss on it. And are you on a waiting list to get it, given that you're in a rural place? I'm not as much in a rural area as you probably need to be. I, I think I probably could get it, but uh, we get cable here. I mean, I, I'm I'm next to a cornfield, but I'm also 15 minutes away from an Amazon distribution center. I see. So I'm like in an exurb. Got it. Not a suburb. For some reason, I'm blanking out on the name of the author of Vagabonding. God. Ralph Potts. Thank you. He uh, reminds me of you in a bit. Because he's also playing this arbitrage, as he calls it, of being in a rural place. He's from Kansas. You're in Wisconsin. And you can just live very inexpensively there and yet have all the benefits that you would have if you were in New York or San Francisco. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is going to movies. All the movies are streaming now. Right. Like on the weekend, the the, the time they come out. And they're streaming for a lot less than it costs to go to a movie. And I, if you have a uh, any new television now, they're cheap and they're glorious, and you can get a gigantic one for very little money, and it's it's a fine viewing experience. And I think, quite frankly, they're only going to get bigger and better over time. I would not be surprised within ten years if uh, the average household doesn't at least have an eighty-inch screen, possibly going up to a hundred. And it's simply the wall. And it's it's kind of an experience like that. And there is something that changes when you have an enormous screen, that it becomes far more immersive. So watching something that's live, like if, let's say you're watching a, you know, they, they, uh, they filmed Hamilton and then they released it on Disney Plus. To see a Broadway show, a stage production like that, uh, actually works pretty well, I think, as well as sporting events and, and other things. Yeah. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. 
That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.